Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. The NBA is back. I'm so excited. Finally, this season has so many great storylines, so many great players coming back. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, so let's get right into it. James Harden, trade speculation. Every single week, we're going to talk about this until it happens <laughs> or it doesn't happen. And we're going to talk, and we're going to talk, and we're going to talk. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the James Harden situation, this guy is getting more and more intriguing. Apparently, the guy's throwing basketballs at players in practice now. He's getting in people's face. He's getting aggressive. Apparently, this is, like, completely uncharacteristic of him. I think the most like, pressing question about all of this that no one is asking is why does James Harden want to trade so bad? Like, this is an organization that, for all intents and purposes, seems that they've done great by him. They even offered him three additional years on his contract, an extension worth another 100-plus million for a guy who's already 31. I mean, you can't say that it's because they weren't offering you longevity. You can't say because they didn't try in free agency. They always try. I mean, they didn't succeed, but, like, they tried. Like, this is an organization that, for the most part, has basically let you do things that no other team in their right mind will let any other player do. They let you basically do whatever the hell he, he wants. And I, mean, I'll I don't understand you. why he wants to leave. Yeah, I'll stop you on that point. I think that that's exactly why he wants to leave is because he had an organization that let him get away with whatever he wanted. And I'm sure Steven Silas came in and the new GM, I'm, I'm blanking on the name right now, but the new GM came in and they were like, hey, this isn't going to be the Harden show anymore. We're going to actually have rules. This isn't Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni. And we're not going to run the offense only through you. We're going to get other pieces and we're going to have the team uh, abide by overall rules. And even I saw Silas today who was saying, like, I'm an old school coach. I probably get that from my dad, who was a great NBA player and coach as well. So I'm sure it's a no BS type of environment that James Harden oh, is not used to. He hates that. Like, That's exactly what it is. It sounds like it's when you have or give a kid all the freedom in the world and then you take it away from them. James Harden is going through his terrible twos now. He's just throwing tantrums left and right, throwing basketballs, which if you think back to when Jimmy Butler played with the third stringers and cursed everybody out on the Timberwolves, that seems like absolutely nothing compared to James Harden and what he's doing. <laughs> so, the thing is, it's just completely unprofessional the way he's going about it too. I mean, be a pro. It's not like this guy's going to be a free agent at the end of the year either. He's still got two years left on this thing. I mean, yeah. it, it also makes you, as, as a player who's willing to do that, this doesn't reflect well on you for another team to invest in you. Like, why would a team invest in a player that clearly in year two perhaps is going to bail on the team because he doesn't want to be disciplined? I mean, I don't understand why anyone would trade for a player like that at this point. He needs to show that he has the dedication that is required to win a championship. That's why we all watch this game. And it doesn't seem like that's really his top priority. Well, Miami dropped out of the race. I'm sure others will bow out soon because they're going to think we're not dealing with this head case and we want to have structure and organ, uh, like a good organization. So um, it honestly reminds me of the TikTok sale. All we've done all year is talk about whether or not TikTok is going to be sold to Oracle, to Microsoft, to Walmart, and James Harden. It's, is he going to go to Brooklyn? Is he going to go to Philadelphia? Is he going to go to this place, <laughs> that place, wherever? And he's just going to end up staying on the same team, just like TikTok is going to stay with the investors in China. And that's just going to be the end of it. So I, yep. I don't think it's going to end up happening in the long run. I think he will be in a Rockets uniform, so he needs to do some damage control and not jeopardize the three-year extension that they're offering him, but also not jeopardize endorsements, not jeopardize future deals. And potentially if he keeps gaining weight at the pace that he is based on how he Ooh. looks now, he's going to be out. Well, he's a bucket. The league he's and, a bucket now. <laughs> yeah, he's a, a heavy bucket. Um, he's a bucket now. But seriously so, though, if you're John Wall, this, this has got to be so weird. Like John Wall has never been anywhere else but the Wizards. His whole career, he's never known anything else. And it didn't end up working out, but he had an organization that was generally committed to him. Although they may have not been very good at their jobs, they tried to basically put him around other players that could succeed. It just didn't work out. He's now in an organization in complete disarray. There is a complete disconnect between the star player on the team, management, the coach, 
No one knows what's going on. It's nuts. Yeah. Well, enough on James Harden until next week. Saw some extensions go through this week. Kyle Kuzma, uh, three years, 40 million. This has to be the biggest flop of an extension that I saw of any of the extensions. In fact, Kyle Kuzma goes from his rookie year of being a stud standout to last year putting up abysmal numbers and gets three years of 40 million. Markel Fultz, who looked broken for a year and a half, ends up getting three years, 50 million. Jonathan Isaac gets 72 million. And then two Malik guys on Beasley the Clippers. Malik Beasley got 60 million. <laughs> Malik Beasley, Larsa Pimpin. Malik Boone, Beasley, he got 60, got 60 million. million. And <laughs> on top of that, Luke Kennard and Marcus Morris both got four years, 64 million from the Clippers. So I understand that it, it's two years really with the player option in the third. So he will be able to retest free agency. But like, this is the definition of having your eyes come off the prize. If he would have gone maybe one point, two points higher, even two points lower, but still shooting at a high percentage and not trying to be, I think you and I called him, he's trying to be like the cool guy. If he would have just focused exactly on it. those things and been the true third, maybe on some nights where AD and LeBron are either out or playing off the second guy on the team, he would have gotten a max deal. Instead, he didn't. He is like, think about who the Lakers traded for AD. They traded Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, and I think one other player. Brandon Ingram got a max deal. If Lonzo plays marginally better than last year, he'll probably get a max deal. They didn't want to include Kuzma because they thought he was going to be the star player for the Lakers going forward. They probably could have put Kuzma instead of Brandon Ingram, but they chose to keep Kuzma. And instead, now they gave him three years, 40 mil. And I, thought- I think the thing actually with that one is probably Kyle Kuzma for Brandon Ingram wouldn't have been a fair swap. I think that Brandon Ingram was the centerpiece. He had to go. That was the one that was the main piece. I think that the Lakers then had to choose between the remaining parts, meaning Lonzo, Hart, or Kuzma, but Ingram was the centerpiece. If Ingram didn't go, that deal does not happen. There's no way. But I agree with you. Kyle Kuzma blew this. Like, he completely blew it. Everyone else, all of his peers, all got paid. He blew it because he lost sight, he lost sight of his, his goals. Like, the guy honestly cares more about trying to be the star player on the team than trying to make a positive impact on the game. He's trying to play to try to have nice stats instead of trying to play to have an impact. He takes shots out of rhythm. He doesn't play good on defense. He basically only wants to do the flashy things. He's not a good three-point shooter, but he insists on chucking them. I, I don't really understand, but I think that the Lakers are also sending him a message with this contract. You have a guy like Kyle Kuzma who has been very vocal about expressing the fact that he believes that he is a star player. He really does believe that. He is very confident that he is a star and he wants to be able to take those shots. He wants to be the guy who is the number one option. I don't really see how he can reasonably think that he could play at that level based on his performances up to this point. But I think the Lakers giving him $40 million tells him, this is what you're gonna do for us. The $40 million role. That is your job going forward. So conform to that because this is what you're getting. Three years, 40 million. You're going to be a role player off the bench. You're going to do your job. You're going to be a soldier on this team. You're going to file in line. You're going to be behind LeBron and AD. And you're basically going to do whatever they say. And that's what three years, 40 million means. I also think that this people unjustly said Rob Polinka wouldn't be a good GM. And if anything, Rob Polinka being a good agent has just proved that good agents make good GMs because he is fleecing all of the agents who work with these stars that they're bringing to the Lakers. They have the six man and the running runner up six man in Schroeder and Montrez Harrell. And they're on pretty cheap deals compared to their value. Kyle Kuzma now, even though he didn't play that well, as we talked about with his peers, probably should be making more money. And then he brought back Mark Heath, not Marcus, and Markeith gets a vet min versus Marcus across the street or on the same court gets four years, 64 million. Yeah, and they share nice. the same agent. So 
<laughs> it's true. And the thing is, I do agree that Marcus Morris is the better Morris brother, but is he that much better? I really don't think so. So it's, it's really got to be Kalinka. That's got to be the difference. Yeah. Not that much better. Yeah. So what do you think about the Rudy Gobert extension? Apparently the largest contract in NBA history. Giannis signed one that was a little bit bigger, but Rudy Gobert did sign a very fat contract. He actually turned down the Supermax that Giannis got. He didn't even want to go to the negotiating table with uh, the Supermax because he wanted the Jazz to remain flexible through free agency. So he actually got uh, the like the max contract, but not the Supermax. So instead of 228, he got 205. Wow, um, wow that's and nuts. So one very selfless on Rudy's part, but also 205 versus 228. Like he's going to get that back in dividends in probably five years if he invests correctly. So not a huge deal. And obviously I think he cares about winning more, but it also signaled to me two things. Either Gobert and Spida have figured out things and are now good with the jazz or don't care and just solely want to win. Because once the coronavirus thing happened, Reports were coming out that they had some friction in the locker room, that they didn't get along that well. I think Gobert infected Mitchell, so he was pretty peeved about that. And that <laughs> yeah, was like right probably around it. the height of it. Um, and then also, I think, after the Jazz see uh, Darren Williams and Gordon either walk or want to get traded when those were like two of their cornerstone guys, they wanted to now hold on to their franchise pieces with the hope of creating modern day Stockton Malone, especially with the new sale that they have to the, got the owner of Qualtrics uh, that just passed this week. So I think the Jazz are trying to signal, hey, we're about stability here, or this new owner is willing to go all in for the stars, but also we're able to keep things in house and mitigate any risk of losing our star players like we have in the past. I agree with you. I just think for me personally, Rudy Gobert getting 205 mil and then Donovan Mitchell making 195 mil just doesn't really make sense to me because I think that Donovan Mitchell is definitely the better player. And I understand that Rudy Gobert may have been eligible for a larger contract, but it just, I feel like Rudy Gobert is not worth all of that. And I know that he's an amazing defensive player, maybe one of the best defensive centers ever if you look at his statistic numbers. But the thing is, even though he puts up pretty nice offensive numbers, if you look at just total number of points and percentages, he's limiting in what he gives you on offense because most of his points come off basically garbage points, which, yeah, you're going to have great play from him during the regular season. You can still win a lot of games that way. But once you get to the playoffs, as we saw, people sag off of him because they know that he can't shoot. He can only score right underneath the basket, and teams know that. So teams basically sag off, and it makes it a lot harder for Donovan Mitchell to get space. I feel like Donovan Mitchell, who's already – I mean, he's a pretty good shooter at this point, but he's not an elite shooter, would probably benefit more from having a guy in the paint who has at least a threat from mid-range. I don't really think that Rudy Gobert has the offensive versatility that it requires to earn a $205 million contract. I think if you're making that much money, you have to be an elite defensive player – but also an elite offensive player. You have to be able to score to win. At the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. You got to score points. And he is just not an elite offensive talent by any means. So I don't really know that I can think of another time that I, I've seen a player get 205 million and he produces so little on offense. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely not uh, your, like, especially modern day center. But he, I just don't see anybody that the Jazz are going to get that can fill his spot immediately. And also, who are they going to go out and get from a max player perspective in free agency? They're going to have and to spend like this. that is why it's tough to be in a small market. Yeah, they're going to have to spend like this on these guys. And Utah is a beautiful place, but it's not L.A., it's not Miami, it's not New York from a pure marketing standpoint. So to have a homegrown talent like Rudy, to have a homegrown talent like Donovan, and also Donovan is four years younger than Rudy. So 
just purely based off of that, by the time that he's Rudy's age, he's going to get probably a $60 million a year contract and below whatever Rudy's making out of the water currently. So he will get his bag again and be very, yeah. very financially sound. That's true. I guess for the Jazz, I mean, you have to overpay a little bit to retain talent given the situation. I personally wouldn't invest that in a player who doesn't give me at least 25 points a game on offense and the chance to actually be able to give me buckets in crunch time when you need a game winner. I, I don't think that I'd give Rudy Gobert $205 million, but I guess if you're the Jazz, you might have to. So I, I guess I understand. Yeah, so switching gears a little bit, we – are on the first day of the NBA being back. We're actually recording this in the middle of the first two games. So first one just wrapped up, uh, Lakers versus Clippers going on currently. But I was really excited about the two games from today. I thought that they were great matchups. And for Brooklyn and Golden State, my question going in was, it was first of all interesting to see the NBA schedule this in Brooklyn to start. I think if coronavirus wasn't a thing, they might have opted to have KD go back to Golden State and be in front of the fans for the first time from a storyline perspective. Um, and I thought also that Clay would be watching this intently, not because of the team, but more so how is KD going to perform? Because he's probably thinking, hmm, who rehabbed KD? Is he performing at a great level? And can I take his trainers so that I come back stronger from my Achilles injury? So. Those are the questions I had going in. Uh, additionally, obviously, with KD, with Kyrie, are they going to mesh well? Are they going to do well against the Warriors? And how is Steph going to perform with the New Look Warriors? And I think all my questions were answered. KD is KD, and Golden State's going to have some trouble. If they cannot find the three-pointer, shoot well from free throw line, or get their assist numbers up. They were slightly right. I mean, this Yeah, go ahead. This, this really just goes back to what I alluded earlier when we were discussing the MVP conversation. I really did think that it was going to be a lot harder for Steph Curry to do it because given the, the lineup that he has right now, it's going to be a lot harder for him to return to MVP form because he doesn't have as good of a supporting pass. He had a system that was designed around ball movement, spacing, and shooting so that he could take advantage of his greatest skill, which is his jump shot. But if you can't get space, it's going to be a lot harder when you have to always shoot it with a guy in your face. And we know he can make those, but if you have to take them all the time, it's asking a lot to make those consistently night in and night out. He's just not getting great spacing. Andrew Wiggins has never been a good three-point shooter and still isn't now. Kelly Oubre, who showed flashes, went 0 for 6. James Wiseman actually hit a three, which is, was really impressive for a center. I think but, he's now tied for the amount of threes that he took <laughs> in college and I think in high school. He always said he could shoot. He, well, you know, he, he didn't really get to play much in college, so we never really got to see what he could do, but we're getting to see it now. He looked really good out there. He looked really mobile for a guy his size. He showed the touch that everyone was talking about. He is a guy that I think could get $205 million and more because it shows already that he's got more polish offensively than Rudy Gobert as a rookie. Just saying that right now. I trust him One to game. get me a bucket more than Rudy Gobert. It's just the way he looked. You can, he, dribbles, he dribbles better. He already has touch. He hit a couple jumpers. The guy moves well laterally. He can switch out onto guys on the perimeter. He's long as hell, just like Rudy Gobert, but even better. I think that he is really going to be a great talent, and I think they hit a home run with him. And I think long-term, if he can develop fast enough and catch Curry while he's still in his prime, it could be a great fit. But when you lose Clay Thompson, your main spacer, you lose your prime secondary playmaker in Draymond, I mean, it's really hard at that point. I yeah, just I mean, really team, think that he's going to struggle this season. Awfully from the field. 37%, 30% from three, 65% from the free throw line. Like, those are abysmal numbers. Those are New York Nick numbers. They're, they're, they just had no spacing. Every time Curry went down the floor, he had a guy in his face. I mean, Cur but Curry also had shots. Yeah, Curry also had 10 of the 26 assists. Like, he can't. And if you look at the bench, it looks like the bench overall were spacing the floor better than the starters. 
And yeah, I'm at, sure at it'll that help. point, the game was out of hand. They had put the bench in at the end after the game was already out of question. Yeah, but I'm sure it'll help hand, to have Draymond back because he is more of a passing big and does end up finding his teammates more. So they'll definitely need that. And Ubre Wiggins, they're still relatively new, especially to the system. So hopefully they're able to pick up the passing and find some spacing. Yeah, they're either going to have to do that or change the system because it doesn't look good right now. But on the other hand, we have Durant and Irving each playing less than 30 minutes, putting this game away really early, and they just look fantastic out there. I got to say, Kevin Durant looks like he never got hurt at all. He emphasized with every dunk basically to announce to the league, hey, I am back, all the way back. He could have just you know, done a normal dunk. No, he wanted to throw down hard to show that he was all the way back. That was a statement. He's never been a loud guy on the court with his mouth, but he'll do it like that. And that's him saying that he's back. And it's just such a nice contrast to see Kevin Durant playing with Kyrie Irving. They do it so differently, but in, in a way similar. They both attack from the perimeter, but Kyrie Irving is just a master with his dribble. The way he keeps the ball in a string, he always gets right to the spot he wants to be. The question with him has always been, can he stay healthy? I thought this team was my pick to probably be the favorite to win it all at the beginning of the season when we discussed this. And I, have, I know it's just one game, but they look healthy. And that's all I needed to see to think that they could win it all, health. I think that if they're healthy, they have it. Karis Levert off the bench over 20 points, and he could do that on any given game. And we haven't even talked about DeAndre Jordan and Dinwiddie. This team is deep. This team has talent at the top. If they're healthy all year long, I think that this is the team to beat. Yeah, and I think Levert could be a uh, dark horse for six man of the year if he keeps these Definitely. stats up throughout the entire year. Um, so moving to the second game of the slate, the Battle of Los Angeles, uh, you expected that the Lakers would come out the gate probably a little bit sluggish. You also expect probably that LeBron is still tired, AD is still tired, and what if they lose a couple games to start the season? Um, I, I don't know that the staff will be too upset by that. Um, but the question will start to be when you get to game four, five, six, and especially in an abridged season like this, are you going to have to start playing those players more to play catch up? And if so, what is that going to do to their longevity for the season, especially when you expect probably LeBron and or AD to be resting on back-to-backs. So to start with the game, it's I think in the second quarter now, it looks like the Lakers are slightly down. So Clippers are probably coming out motivated, especially after seeing the ring ceremony. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see if Los Angeles, uh, how they play their starters and how they do to start the season. To be honest with you, I was one of the people, too, at the beginning of the season, one of the few who is picking the Lakers to definitely not repeat. I actually don't think that this is going to be a great year for them. I really don't. Like, we're talking about a guy who you're – well, we're talking about a team who your two best players, one of them has an injury history rap sheet that's as long as anyone's, and the other one is 36 – and they're both coming back off the shortest offseason in NBA history. So that doesn't bode well. LeBron was talking before how he was going to rest. He wasn't going to play these games and he was going to recover. But here he is playing. Why? Because he knows that he needs that top seed. He doesn't want to have to grind it out after an already grinded out playoffs through tougher teams in the early rounds. He doesn't want that. He wants to be able to breathe through round one, two, and three. Four games, five games, four games. That way he can rest between rounds. He doesn't want to be dogging it out. He knows he's not for that anymore. I mean, he's great. He's still the best player in the NBA until Durant shows everyone otherwise this year. But he is not going to be able to perform this year at the level that he did last year. I think the fatigue and the hangover from the short offseason is going to catch up to them. Yeah, I agree. So moving away from uh, – today and open a uh, couple games of the season. One of them is Christmas Day. It's right around the corner, three days from now. 
What are some of the matchups you're most excited about on Christmas Day? Well, for me personally, I'm really excited to see the Mavericks-Lakers game. I think that one's going to be a lot of fun just because when the Mavericks played the Lakers in the playoffs, we know how tense that got. And honestly, I felt like the Mavericks couldn't really give them their best shot. Like they still played them really well, but they had a lot of injuries. They had Porzingis go down. They had basically Luka playing on one ankle by the end of it. Unfortunately, it seems like injuries took them out. And I think that Luka, this guy, knows that he is a front runner for MVP candidate this year. He is going against the guy who is widely considered to be the number one player in the NBA and the team that had all this bad blood in the playoffs with. We all know the Montrez Harrell situation and the, the white boy thing. We know all about that. There's a lot of, a lot of motivation for Luca to come out and have a monster game. I think Luca's going to want to come out and show everyone that he is better than LeBron now. I'm not saying that he is, but I think that Luca thinks he is. And I think that Luca wants everyone else to think he is too. And I think that he's going to come out motivated and they're going to be healthy. And I really want to see what Josh Richardson looks like on that team. I think he's actually going to be a really good fit for them. So I think that's a great matchup. Yeah, I agree. That's one of the ones I'm looking at as well. And I think KP is still going to be out until probably January 1st. So we'll see oh, if Luca puts up 50 on that game just to be on that stage and show up the guy he fanboyed for in LeBron. Uh, the other matchup I think is going to be exciting, especially after watching today, Nets versus Boston. I think this will show who the true contender in the East is. Boston didn't really add many pieces this offseason, at least anything notable, and they also didn't subtract anything, so they're really returning with their core. So this going against a new Nets team that dominated the former Warriors, if Boston isn't able to dominate or Boston gets dominated, the question will be, are they going to be able to run it back to the Eastern Conference Finals? And if not, do they start to get into the Harden chase and start to think maybe we trade Jalen Brown and somebody else to get Harden? Um, the other question I'll have, obviously, going in is, will Kyrie Sage erase more bad juju that he has with the team? <laughs> uh, and lastly, will the Boston D and Tatum's two-inch difference prevent KD from dominating, which I think the answer after seeing tonight is no. Honestly, this was one of my second, I think it's probably my second favorite matchup of all the ones that I saw just because of all the intrigue. But going on the Celtics, I just really don't know if long-term the Celtics are going to be able to have Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown reach either of their individual ceilings if they stay together. The reason being, I feel like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown aren't really great playmakers at this point in their careers. They're very similar at this point. It's kind of like what you see with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, where you kind of do the same things, but one of you is better at it at this point. They kind of have that. There's, there's overlap, which it's good in some ways because you can never have too much talent, obviously. But when you have a player that has such a similar skill set, it kind of, instead of amplifying you, it kind of just makes it neutral. And I feel like Kemba Walker is not a great point guard as a playmaker either compared to some of the other playmakers we have in this league. So I feel like their offense, as we saw in the playoffs, their largest detriment is probably that, their ball movement and their playmaking, which is why they had such a difficulty beating the zone when the Heat put it on them. They don't really have smart passers that can anticipate plays two and three plays ahead. So they're much more limited in that regard and have to usually rely on their talent to beat teams. Jason Tatum just has to basically go ISO and show you that he's better than you. Same with Jalen. They, they make tough shots to their credit, but their offense probably is not going to be as efficient as it could be if they have two non-playmakers as their main cogs. And I think that what you were saying about James Harden makes a lot of sense. If James Harden would actually straighten out I think that Boston is a great place for him to be because I don't think there's that many high quality strip clubs over there or, uh, you know, places that rappers generally go to. I don't really hear many rap songs mentioned Boston. So I don't think that there's going to be as many distractions over there. Brad Stevens is a coach that has a lot of structure, but he's also understanding. I think that that could probably bring out the best in him. 
And a guy like Jalen Brown could then have a great fit with a guy like Wall if Wall comes back to his all-star form. I think that that would be a win-win for both of them. Yeah, I agree. And taking a look at the other games, I actually was disappointed in the pairings of a couple of the other games, and I thought things should have been switched. Uh, I was disappointed that it wasn't Miami versus Milwaukee. I don't know from a scheduling standpoint what the travel differences were uh, for those two teams and why they didn't pair them together. But we talked about the Nets versus Boston. That could be an Eastern Conference preview. But Miami versus Milwaukee could be the other Eastern Conference preview if those are going to be the top four teams in the East. So I don't know why you don't start the season with that game. Um, and for Zion, I don't know what beef New Orleans really has with Miami. So that didn't seem to really mesh well versus Golden State versus Zion. Golden State, top team of the Western Conference before. Zion, up and coming New Orleans Pelicans team, putting them to clash. I just felt made more sense from a conference standpoint, from a narrative standpoint. So I think that that matchup or those matchups should have been swapped for their opponents just to give a little bit better of a storyline like they had in some of the other games. To be honest with you, I don't think the Pelicans should have been on Christmas at all. And that's not to say that I don't think they're going to be good next year. I think that they're going to be great. I think that they're going to have a really good year if Zion can stay healthy. I think that Brandon Ingram and him are actually going to be really complimentary to one another. But I just think that you have to have earned it. And they didn't even make the playoffs. I just – I don't think that you can just crown them yet. I know he's a great player. Zion's going to really be amazing. But he hasn't done it yet. I think it's a little bit premature to just – Look, look at the Pelicans. Look at all the matchups. They're the team that doesn't fit. You look at all the other teams, you're like, yeah, those are winning teams. The Pelicans haven't won yet. I don't think they should be playing on Christmas. And I think that's why the matchup isn't good. The Pelicans probably should have been replaced for a team that contended in the playoffs because that's who should be playing on Christmas, the teams that earned it. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think, like, last year, looking at the different uh, teams that played – you had the Pelicans play in the nighttime slot against the Nuggets when they really hadn't proved anything. You also had the Heat not play last year. And so it, I agree with you with the bias that they have for Zion. It wouldn't surprise me if they put the Hornets in next year if the Hornets don't do that well because the storyline is going to be LaMelo. And if the Hornets and Pelicans do okay, then maybe they put them at the morning slot and have the, the Ball brothers play each other for Christmas Day next year. Um, they can name it like the LeVar battle. I don't, I don't know what they'd name it. But I think what this really comes down – All about ratings. So, oh, exactly. That, that's exactly what it is. So the league basically realizes they make a lot more money when they have really big names. And the league knows that all the biggest names are all in their 30s now. So they need someone new. They need a new bridge guy that they can be the face of the league. But then put the Hawks against the Warriors. Have Trey Young come out and be. I I agree. I agree, but it would be it would still be the same situation with them because they didn't really show it last year either. I think that what it is is just Zion is a bigger name right now. More people know him. He was on the cover of Two K already somehow, but they just basically want to make sure that people know who he is. So by the time that these soon-to-be-done stars are aged out, they already have a new guy in place to be the face of the league for the next decade. And I know that Giannis is the talent to be that guy, but he doesn't want to be that guy, especially now that he stayed in Milwaukee. And I think the league saw that. They were like, okay, Giannis is going to stay in Milwaukee. That's great for him, but not for us. Not great for our ratings. Damn, we need to find someone new. And Zion for better or worse, is a larger-than-life personality. He sells. The guy is going to make a lot in endorsements. He's a very likable personality. He's electrifying. So I think that's all it really came down to. They just wanted to make sure that everyone knows, hey, we still have stars. Yeah, I just hope somebody's coached him on celebrations because his, like, throwing his arms down at his side and just, like, screaming but not really looking up this guy or anything like he's a very flat celebration like you, you need to see more out of him 
Um, but anyhow, that's enough about the games. I think we can move on now to our next segment, which is a new segment called Plead Their Case. So in this segment, uh, I will ask you to present a topic and then you need to plead that person's case either as that person or as their defending lawyer. Ready? All right, ready for it. All right, first case, Kyrie Irving, burning sage to remove the bad omens from each stadium. Plead his case on the success of burning sage. <laughs> so I think Kyrie Irving probably at this point has had the injury bug for so many years that he is just like, what am I doing wrong? It's not even the same injury. Every year it's something new seemingly. And it's not that the guy doesn't take care of himself or work hard. Like he definitely spends a lot of time on his craft. He definitely tries to take care of his body, but it seems like something always seems to happen. So at this point, I mean, you try everything, right? Might as well. You maybe saw it on TV once and figures, why not give it a try? Well, and well. his mom is half uh, Sioux tribe. So I think he's trying to bring some of his heritage in from that angle That as well. definitely, definitely. But I, yeah, I, we talked about it, I think last episode or episode three, about how Kyrie is a walking media magnet. And of course, the first time you hear about Sage, could have been doing this for years. I think Kevin Durant said that he sages his room before a 2K uh, game. <laughs> Kyrie, the first time you hear about him uh, smudging, which is what the burning sage process is called, is in the place that he left on bad terms. It's not in the Suns arena. It's not in the Heat arena. It's in the place that he left on bad terms is where there's somehow some camera that's following only Kyrie around that catches him alone burning sage around the entire arena. Like, that is totally... Yeah, that's staged. And, yeah, he, he has somebody in there recording for him, sends it to TMZ, to ESPN, to wherever else. Like, oh yeah, no, this is some process that I always do. It probably could be, but you never had anybody recording it or showing it until you came back to Boston. I honestly can really appreciate him upholding his mom's traditions and keeping her memory. I know that he lost his mother when he was very young. So him doing that to honor her memory is great. I think that that's awesome. But I also know that he's a diva and I know that he loves attention. And he is that guy that says, I hate the media and I hate attention. But then he does things that he knows are gonna attract attention. So it's hard for me to plead his case, honestly. <laughs> Well, hopefully the one, this one's a little bit easier. Ty Lue is implementing the triangle offense. Haven't heard that one in a couple of years. For Kawhi this year, plead his case on why Ty Lue is doing this. So I think Ty Lue might be doing this because he realizes Kawhi Leonard's skill set is probably kind of similar to Michael Jordan's. I know they go about it in different ways, but if you analyze their game, they get their points for mid-range mostly. They're mid-range masters, elite defenders, play the same position, defense first mentality, but always there for you when you need the big shot. They can hit the three, but they thrive in that mid-range. And that is what the triangle emphasizes. The triangle is all about emphasizing getting the ball from the elbows moved around to find easy mid-range jumpers, which Kawhi apparently can hit at a better clip than almost anyone in the NBA. It's automatic for him. So I think that Ty Lue is trying to get the most out of Kawhi's offense. When he saw that Paul George and Kawhi couldn't coexist because there wasn't a good playmaker, like I was alluding to with the Celtics, the overlapping skill set, he probably realized the main issue is their playmaking, their passing, the ball is stagnant. It's just a bunch of ISO. It's predictable. I think that he's trying to do the triangle because it's predicated on passing, you are literally forced to move the ball until you find good looks from mid-range. That's the emphasis of it. I don't know that he'll succeed at it because many have tried and it's, it's really hard to run it. The personnel is very specific. You need a bunch of players that are all connected with a high IQ, with great passing instincts and discipline, and you need certain skill sets to run it. And I don't know that they really have that personnel right now, but Ty Lue's a guy that played in the NBA during the time that Jordan did so maybe he feels, since he saw it in person, he has a better chance of reproducing it. 
we'll see how it goes. But I can understand from his perspective why he thinks on paper it would work. Well, and Ty Lue also played with Kobe when Kobe was running the triangle from Phil Jackson. So that's right. I think he that's has right. some, some playing experience there as well. But Ty Lue is known for his spacing principles to run his offense. He likes those schemes. And I agree with you. I think that the triangle plays to Ty Lue's strengths as a coach, but also play to Kawhi's strengths as a player. And triangle's known for using those principles that are dictated by the defense where the spacing is on the floor, trying to get people in from the baseline and then kicking up for the mid-range shot. So it's been successful with two three-guard forward types, similar to both Kawhi and Paul George, who, like you said, are isolation players, also similar to Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan. So I expect, though, Ty will look more towards the Jordan Pippen days because those are more of the same types of players that Kawhi and Paul George are rather than Kobe for inspiration because he played with more so big men with Powell and Shaq. Um, but I hope it works out for him. I hope Ty does a good job because he – I would love to see it. Yeah, he came into a volatile situation with Cleveland, obviously had success there as soon as LeBron leaves – they fire him because they're like, we need a rebuilding coach. And then it was an absolute disaster with Bayline. Um, I also so, think it'd be great for the league's diversity. We've, we've become, not that I'm complaining about it. It's very exciting to see a league that is, has become so three-point oriented. Obviously, it's very exciting. The point totals go up much higher. You have centers shooting threes now. Anyone could potentially hit a three at this point. If you can't hit a three, you're a liability on offense at this point is what it seems like. So it would be kind of cool to see someone buck that trend and show that you can still compete and win in other ways and show that, hey, this doesn't have to be a copycat league. You can, you can play other styles. There's other ways. So I, I think it'd be cool to see. I hope, it, I hope he succeeds. Well, and the old saying is like the market always corrects itself. For so long, there was such a emphasis on mid-range jumpers that then the league or the players of the league said, we're now just going to shoot from three. And so now the league has seen the shift to small ball lineups, has seen the shift to shooting more threes. But then you see the Celtics get carved up by the heat because the heat use zone. And they couldn't hit a mid-range shot to save their life. They couldn't penetrate the zone. And so you're going to need to have teams that go back to the San Antonio Spurs, the triangle offenses, those types of mid-range dominant offenses that – get people away from being out in three-point all the time from a defensive standpoint and focus more on the interior defense as well as the mid-range defense. So next case, the Knicks coaching staff is shifting RJ Barrett from the two to the three. Please their case on why the shift will work. So I think it's an interesting move RJ Barrett is a player that is six foot seven. He's kind of in between that two and three range, but he's a very light player at this point with a slight build. So although it seems strange to move him up to a position where he's likely going to have to guard players that are larger than him at such a small weight, I think it might still make sense because the thing that RJ Barrett has going for him that made him such a high pick is his combination of being able to dribble at his height and get his shot off quickly off the dribble. I think that he's struggling to penetrate on two guards who are quicker and can stay in front of him. And he's not strong enough at this point to just bulldoze pie him. So he needs to try to get at least a speed advantage on his guy to get to the basket and get to his spots. So if you move him up to the three, he's not going to have to be going against defenders that are quite as laterally quick as some of the twos. They might be a little taller, but it's going to be fine once he's past them. So I think they're counting on his ability to use his quick first step and his handle to maybe take advantage of players that aren't as sleet on foot at the three. But overall, I think it's going to be pretty similar, to be honest with you, because the two and the three at this point in the NBA are about the same thing. We're going to a positionless type of league. doesn't make that big of a difference, but I think they just want to give him a higher percentage of possessions where he'll have a chance at getting an advantage with his quickness and his handle, which is probably his greatest strength. Yeah. For a player his size. 
anytime I see anything with the Knicks, I think, oh boy, what are they screwing up now? But I think that this actually will help. As much as I love David Fisdale, he started RJ last season at the one. And it was baffling to see RJ there because he's historically not a good passer and proved that by averaging 2.6 assists last year. So he worked now this offseason with renowned shooting coach Drew Hamlin, who's also trained Bradley Beal, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, to name a few. And so it's great to see RJ personally taking those steps that are necessary to elevate himself to that next level. But he averaged 14.3 points. Not bad for a rookie season, but definitely not, I think, what he expected to do. 40.2% from field goal. You expect him to be shooting better as a two or three guard. So I think if he's put into the right situation with Thibodeau, hopefully having a good offensive coach to help him because Thibodeau is known for more of his defensive schemes, then I think RJ could make that jump and not have a sophomore slump, but a sophomore improvement going into next year. So I agree with that. Yeah, so last one. Uh, Wolves owner Glenn Taylor believes the Wolves will make the playoffs. Plead their case for making a run. Did you not hear that they got Malik Beasley 60 million? That's why. I mean, they have Malik Beasley. That's all they need. If you have Larsa Pippen cheering for you, think about it. Think about the boost, the motivation of having socialites at your games. That's all you need to win games, and Glenn Taylor knows this. He is very confident because he knows with a little bit more exposure, that's, that's all you need. Carl Anthony Towns, he's going to thrive in this kind of situation. I think that it's going to go great with uh, D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Edwards. I think that there's not going to be any overlap there. I think that, you know, their, their talents complement one another great. They are amazing playmakers at their position, and he is right. He is, he's always spot on, Glenn Taylor, you know. He's going to have a great year. Oh, man. Well, if it's any tell by your sarcasm, I also don't see the Wolves making it out of the West. Um, they have too many issues. I saw a report today, actually, that – Flip Saunders uh, is there for two reasons. One of them is for the nepotistic, nostalgic factor of Flip Saunders being his father. And the other one is that he's just a yes man to the GM and to ownership, so they don't have any issues. So just by that pure drop alone of news, even if it's completely hearsay, there's clearly some rumblings about just your coach. Then you get into the drama off the court with Larsa Pippins, honey. You get into the overlapping of Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell. D'Angelo also hasn't shown that he can carry a team, neither has Carl Anthony Towns. And D'Angelo, except for his 2018-2019 season with Brooklyn, has missed, I think, around 20 games a season. Uh, so, he hasn't really remained healthy as well. So I don't see them making it out of the West unless the Suns and Rockets collapse this year. I don't, I don't see them making it out of the West. It's honestly a shame too, because Carl Anthony Towns on just talent alone, I think would be better than Anthony Davis if he reached his full potential. People he said really he had next LeBron. He, he literally is a freak athlete. Like, this guy could do it all. We're talking about a guy who's just as big as AD, but actually somehow more athletic. I, that's that's mind-blowing. Like, AD and a better is passer. very athletic. And a better passer and a better shooter. He actually can consistently hit threes. He actually is a threat from there. You really have to go out there. The guy is an incredible talent. I don't know why it is that he's not better. I've seen him on possessions be able to go out onto the perimeter and guard smaller guards and, and forwards on the perimeter and stay in front of them. The guy is an excellent lateral defender when he wants to be. I just don't know what it is, why he can't put it together consistently. It seems he just doesn't, he just hasn't put it all together, but his talent is limitless. I think it just has maybe to do with the dysfunction in the Timberwolves organization. It's really hard to be motivated playing there 
he took the big contract. He got stuck. And he's, to his credit, been a high road guy. He could have demanded trade. He could have been a, a James Harden or one of these other guys and been like, oh, trade me. This team is awful. But he's always just like kind of took it. And I think maybe that is why he hasn't reached his potential because if he was the kind of guy who was a go-getter, he probably would have left by now. And you need to be yeah, a go-getter I, to reach your full potential. I think they showed him uh, show a good faith with bringing D'Angelo there. They're clearly friends. I think they would have loved to have Devin Booker join them because I'm pretty sure those three guys are very tight-knit. But we'll see if D'Angelo and Kat work out. I don't think that it will work out to the degree of success of making it to the playoffs, at least not this year, and they get some of that dysfunction out of their locker room, but we shall see. It'll be interesting. If they, they have the talent to make the playoffs theoretically, but the Anthony Edwards pick was just not a good pick for them, I don't think, and they don't really have a lot of other pieces on their team around them. They basically need for Carl Anthony Towns to have the best year of his career and for D'Angelo Russell to have the best year of his career. They'd need the best performances of each of their individual careers for that, for that to happen, to be honest with you. Yeah. And the crazy part is I'm pretty sure that they protected their pick this year uh, in the top three that they gave to the Warriors in the D'Angelo Russell trade. And then it should convey next year and you expect them to be marginally better where they won't be the number one overall pick. But 2021 draft class is much more stacked than the 2020 draft class. So you almost would have rather the Warriors gotten the first and second pick this year than giving the Warriors maybe the ninth or 10th or maybe even 16th pick next year, just because of how deep that draft is. So. I agree. I agree. Fun stuff coming ahead. Today's segment, a little bit short, not that much yet on the season, but. We'll have more as the matchups come. As always, the Court of Opinion. I'm Mike Stir. And I'm Eric Gonzalez. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Bullhorn, wherever you get your finer podcasts. And we will be back next week.